0: Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cybery.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cybery Podcast, we sit down with Ken Gilmore, the CEO of Nogen. Speaking with myself and Mike Gruen, the VP of Engineering at Cybery, we discuss the importance of having a sustainable and long term cybersecurity strategy for your company. We also touch on breaches and what that can do to the image of a company. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of the CyberAce Studios podcast. Today in the studio, we have Ken Gilmore from Nogin here, uh, the CEO and co-founder. Along with myself is Mike Gruen, our uh, VP of engineering. And today we'll be talking about cybersecurity strategy. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. Cool.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if you want to just give a little bit of background on yourself. That would probably be helpful
2: yeah sure so uh i've uh, been in the industry for about 20 years um i guess my career started after my enthusiasm um you know when i was a kid i used to um have a, a device from spectrum called the m5 which was one of those old you know rubber keyboard devices kind of like the zx80 and <laughs> um, started there on basic and then uh you know, over the, the next couple of decades, uh, you know, I guess, improve my skills. <laughs> um, and uh, I've set up a, a cybersecurity company uh, called Nogin, as, uh, as you mentioned correctly. And uh, yeah, so we we do, uh, you know, cybersecurity analytics and uh, behavioral analytics. So yeah, cool. Uh, when, you, when you think about um,
1: sort of the s- strategy around cybersecurity, what are some of the things that you sort of take into account or think
2: about? So I think... Um, a few of the problems or mistakes that people make is that they look at it in silo. It's, you know, they, they say this is a cybersecurity strategy. And yes, it is. Um, but really it needs to be looked at holistically among the entire business um, and not just, you know, specifically for, uh, you know, just if it's a security incident, we deal with it. But, you know, if your computer dies, we don't care about it because we're the security team. Um, you know, and wh- why would you? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, ultimately, uh what you need to focus on is the people who are going through the incident process um and you know figure out how you can have a unified process for everything um and get everybody working together
1: yeah i mean i think here we have um our facilities our everything sort of rolls up into me uh, as head of security because all the systems are integrated so everything from the door locks uh to what's happening on laptops and so on and so forth so um i th- i th- feel like, because maybe in the small world that I live in, uh, that things are moving in that way, where there is more integration between the security teams, but I imagine you're seeing uh, a much wider spectrum of the world, and, and maybe that's not quite
2: happening as, as much as I, yeah. I think yeah exactly i mean what you have to think of is impact to your business um you know so a lot of people will you know i guess you could call them purists they would say you need to protect a system at any cost and um, and you know in in some cases that might be true you know you need to protect people's data um, and put whatever you can into protecting that data um but in the sense of most businesses you know they look at it as kind of a cost value thing so you know if if there's a System that's worth ten thousand dollars, they're not going to spend a million dollars to protect that system, and um, because it's worth ten thousand dollars, right? So they need to, you know, make that profitable um, and 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 kind of, you know, ensure that how they protect it is, uh, you know, unified with the rest of the business. So, uh, you know, as you said, in facilities, if something is happening in the building, there is a process to follow. You know, even if it's just there's a fire, run out that door. That's <laughs> right, what right. the process is, right? But there is a process for it, um, and and kind of unifying that so that you know the. the facilities, Facilities guy will usually know the people in the company who are responsible for specific things. Um, And when doing that within cybersecurity, it's good to collaborate in those ways um, so that you can, uh, you know, I guess understand who the right person is. Right. Actually, I like that analogy because
1: I I worked at a company, pretty big company. We had lots of floors, and the way the fire thing was dealt with was there was a fire marshal per floor they were just a regular employee that was given this additional designation of hey in the event of a fire you're responsible for making sure x y and z happens um potentially going uh making sure all the offices are open and there's nobody in them so and so forth and making sure everybody's you know getting out um i could sort of see that same sort of applying to cybersecurity, where maybe it's somebody who's not specifically on the security team, but has some security responsibilities in the event of some sort of an incident, um, whether it be a physical incident or uh, more of a virtual one.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, an incident, you know, I, I guess I kind of... Uh played it down a bit, you know, talking about the fighting. So if there was a fire in this building, right, you mm-hmm. would evacuate. But there are other processes in the background, such as how do we continue offering our service? Uh, how do we keep the business alive? Um, and that is very kind of consistent with what you would do in cybersecurity as well. And um, all of those things have to be thought through. And there are people in multiple parts of the business who think about that. So you as a cybersecurity person, you may know cybersecurity, you may be technical, do you understand accounting? Right. Do you understand the other parts of the business and how they work? You know, probably not. So that's why you talk to those people um, and help to understand their processes in order to bring it into your your strategy. Right. And and so
1: speaking of you know sort of in the event of an incident or hacks or whatever you want to call, it, what what do you sort of think of uh, with regard to the costs of a hack to to an organization? I mean, there's obvious ones that people think of, but maybe there's some others.
2: Yeah. So I I think in relation to small businesses, you know, most small businesses just won't survive uh, a hack. You know, it's, it's not because they don't have insurance. It's just because they lose trust, right? So you could have $10 million of insurance. Your hack might have cost you a million dollars financially but really you've lost the trust of your customers and you know once that happens they're they're going to look at other people they're not really going to have you on the top of their head anymore the, the thing that they'll remember about you is that oh these guys got hacked and my data's gone um, and you know i'm not sure i feel comfortable with that happening again and um, so it doesn't matter what you have done afterward to clean up the problem um you know it, it, you you've got hacked and right. you've lost your trust So how
1: do you, I mean, and you alluded to it earlier, but it's that balance of, you know, risk versus the data that you you have to do some sort of risk assessment with regard to how much you're going to do to to guard the data. Um, I'm constantly asked that by, you know, as we sell into enterprise customers, they want to know, like, what are we doing and how do we assess risk um, with regard to the data that we have? Um, If I'm a small business, I imagine it's a lot harder to sort of think about. You also have all these systems like point of sale systems that maybe are managed by somebody else. Um, Do you have any, like, ideas around how a small business
2: could go about sort of figuring out what they have and assigning risk so i think that the the real crux of the problem is the data that you collect you know everybody wants to collect so much data so you know at, at nogen when you sign up for a free account you have your first name your last name and your email address that's all we need we don't care about anything else you know great if you're a so great if you're you know you've got a cool big job title um but to us as a company why do we need that information we, we don't right so the more information that you collect about people the more you have to spend to protect it mm-hmm. and if that money sorry if that uh, data is not you know equated to money and value then don't collect it you know if you can't spend money to protect it then you don't need it um and that's the i guess really the crux of the problem um you know a lot of people will collect a ton of data that's just completely unnecessary right that makes a lot of sense what about
1: um also looking at the data that they're sort of collecting over time just by nature of the type of business that they're in not necessarily asking for, but like, hey, you know, I'm just like, this is this, I, you know, I know when your car comes in for service and I know, you know, so there's just this, these records in general, um, and trying to figure out like how to assess, how important is it for, you know, from a security perspective, what's the risk of if that information were to get out or whatever?
2: Yeah, I, I guess that's, that's quite a hard one as well. It really depends on what the information is. Um, you know, because really at the end of the day, the only thing a hacker wants is data, Right To you, that data is credit card numbers or you know health insurance or something like that uh, for you know for a mechanic, the information may be you know good data that could be analyzed and you know to figure out what types of customers they have and then steal your customers from you right 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 um, so th- there's a ton of different things that you could do with it, but it really depends on the context and whether you really should um, collect that data in, in a lot of cases, you have to have the history of the car you know you need to know has it been in an accidents and things like that for further sale, right. depending on where you are um. You know but you just need to have appropriate security safeguards in place for that you don't need to have the best in the world Um, i guess the, the analogy is like you know two guys in a jungle running from a crocodile or a lion mm-hmm. you, you don't have to be the world's best athlete you just have to be faster than the other guy right exactly right. yep um yeah i sort of feel like a lot of security is the same security that uh on
1: college campuses with uh bicycles yeah uh, your block just has to be better than the bike exactly. next door <laughs> yeah and your bike has to be slightly cheaper too right, <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's that yeah. too right that helps. But, yep yeah. um in terms of um like what you've seen like uh for your own company how i mean let me backtrack a little bit how do i as a small business um go about getting feeling more secure or doing those things i i it's not like I can hire a full-time security person, necessarily, depending on what business I'm in. Um, What have you sort of seen as ways to sort of mitigate some of that risk or
2: under, you know, um, deal with that? So I I think awareness is a very important thing. So I know we offer a lot of awareness courses and things like that. And so, you know, I, I guess it's like, you know, Let's use an analogy of a car, right? So mm-hmm. you could have the best technology in the world, right? Let's say, I, I don't know what the American equivalent is, but in Ireland, you get a Volvo, right? <laughs> you've got your, your uh, side impact protection, you've got your blind spot detection, you've got seat belts, all those kinds of things. But if you put a blind person in the driver's seat and send them on the highway, probably going to crash and somebody's going to get hurt. Right. Um, and that's just the way it is. So you need to not only have good technology, um, and in fact, sometimes the technology doesn't even matter. Uh, what matters is the awareness that You have of the situation that's around you, so it's always most important to be educated about not only cybersecurity, but what the risks are to you specifically, to your data, to your organization, um, and you know even your competitors. What are the risks to them because they're probably risks to you as well, right? And then in terms of, one of the things I think people don't
1: think a lot about is sort of the the different ways places get uh, how hacks happen in a way, right? everybody thinks of like very direct attacks like oh my my data is being stolen by some somebody across the the ocean um but there are other ways and i'm curious if what your thoughts are on like just sort of elaborating on some of the ways that companies
2: yeah so i mean i I think it's yeah i guess one of the most important things is patch management you know so a lot of people would come to me and it's kind of hard to uh to answer the question in an honest way, I guess, for a lot of business people, um, you know, a lot of people will come to you and say, if there was one thing I could buy um, you know, that would protect me, what would it be? And you always want to say, oh, my product, my product. <laughs> uh, but really, it's not that, it's patching, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when people get compromised online, um, oftentimes it's not a targeted attack. So let's say there's a vulnerability in WordPress. Um, some kid would know about this vulnerability in web, uh, WordPress and he would just scan the web for all the instances of WordPress that may have this vulnerability, may find a few and then just compromise those sites, um, and that's generally how how they get through it. So, um, you know, if you don't patch your site, you will become you know one of those bucket of uh, of uh, compromised people um, or, or compromised sites, and and that's generally how it hackin- happens. Happens. <laughs> uh, you know, you, 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 a lot of people worry about you know maybe China or Russia is going to attack me, but. For the average small business, literally just patch your systems and make sure they're up to date, and uh, you'll avoid, you know, a ton of problems. And
1: then as more and more small businesses, I think, are probably getting connected to whether it's software as a service or other small businesses. I think one of the other things is to sort of understand what those companies are also doing, because a lot of attacks sort of come in from the side, right? It's not a direct attack. It's my partner got compromised, which led them to getting into my network or got them my data, even if it's just because it's just data that I'm sharing with that partner. Um, I think that's one of those where people don't really... A lot of people don't necessarily think as much about like when I enter into this relationship with this cus- with this company, what are they doing to protect the data that I'm sharing with them? Or that's right. Yeah, I mean,
2: it's hard to know what a third party is doing, you know, um, and even things like um there's an organization I worked for about. 10, 15 years ago. Um, and they were basically affected. I guess that they offered uh, sysadmin services to us. Um so, you know, what happened was they were compromised. Someone took an SSH key and then used that key to get into us. But to us, it looked like, our vendor was connecting them, in and right. everything was fine, right? Um, but uh, yeah, we were compromised and we detected it because the types of commands that the attackers used were different to the types of commands that our vendor used. Um, but that's the only way we detected it. And um, so, you know, there, there's, I guess the one thing you need to do is don't oversimplify, but also don't overcomplicate because, you know, attackers are persistent uh, in some cases. And, uh, you know, if they know that you have a vulnerability, they'll just try to exploit it in multiple different ways. You know, if they found that WordPress vulnerability and you've kind of made a slight modification to it um, but not fully patched it, they may, you know, find a way to actually, um, you know, I guess, compromise it in a different way so uh you know don't don't make it too complicated simply just deploy the patch often is the best way to do it mm-hmm. um, uh, and and uh, just make it uh make it simple but just not too simple you know you have to have a way to
1: monitor as well right i also think with um with data one of the things that we really do to help um is that with a lot of our partners uh we share essentially anonymized data right there's some sort of unique ID that we assign to a user. We know how this maps, um, but then what we're actually sharing and getting back just uses that to sort of help um, eliminate risk of if they get compromised, how much are they going to get? They're going to get some information about some, some user, but they don't necessarily know who that person is or and definitely want to limit the amount of sort of meta that we give about that person.
2: Yeah, exactly. You, you want to limit it as well and ensure that you control how they process it. But I mean, uh, in, in many cases, they say three data points is all that you need. Uh, yeah. To be able to identify an individual, um, and it's quite true. And uh, you know, I, I think there was a problem with Best Buy a, a while ago. Uh, I guess probably, you know, probably several years ago, where um, they had uh, you know analyzed the shopping habits of one of their um, their shoppers, and then they sent a package. To that house, saying, you know, congratulations, you're having a baby. Right. And um, here's a bunch of, you know, baby products. And uh, turns out that this person was keeping it a secret from her father and didn't tell her father. And then he found out, you know, uh, after, you yeah. know, th- these these other companies had already realized this. So, right. right. Just from data analysis. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, yeah, I
1: think in that case it might have been Target, but it doesn't it really been matter. Target. It doesn't I really matter, know. right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just <laughs> they have right. They have all yeah. this usage data, and they can sort of right figure out. It's the sort of Cambridge analytics type problem. Um, And then I also... um, I heard it on the internet, so it must be true. Um, But back when I think the US Census first released uh, the census in a way that people could sort of search over it, it was sort of the same... They ran into the same problem that they didn't really consider, where if I put enough facets, if I put enough things, I could actually limit and figure out how much my boss makes because I put in location, I put in... I kind of know enough info, meta information about it that I would actually be able to get the search down to returning one result. Yeah, um, that's right.
2: <laughs> I, I think AOL did it as well with their search function. It's it, you know they, it's anonymized data. It's just kind of a number that's associated with a bunch of search queries. And you could identify people just from their search queries by associating that uh, that number.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the best ways uh, to deal with that is right once a data set gets to a certain size, you don't return it. You say, ah, oh, sorry. Um, I think that's how Census dealt with it. That yeah. they very quickly realized and fixed it. Um, my apologies if that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend that works at the Census Bureau, so I gotta. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're all great. No, Honestly, you didn't tell yeah. me the story. I definitely read it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, in terms of like ransomware and stuff like that, like what are your thoughts on like on that in general? Like if I'm a small business or a large business, like how do you sort of handle? Like what would your advice be for? both mitigating it and then dealing with it if it actually does happen to you?
2: So, yeah, I think generally how ransomware works is, you know, it it will encrypt your files and then kind of delete the original files um, instead of kind of encrypting the new ones with the same name, um, because it's just easier to kind of make an encrypted copy and then delete the original copy. So, you know, there's a bunch of ways that you could recover from it, um, but probably the easiest way for, you know, small businesses, if you're using something like Box or Dropbox or uh, G Cloud, G Suite, um, have version control enabled. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know if someone deletes a file, you can restore it. And um, if they overwrite it, you just restore it to the last version as well. But you want to make sure you're not going to get hit by ransomware the same way as well. You want to be able to analyze and see how did it happen, mm-hmm. uh, and then just avoid that from happening again. Right.
1: My understanding, um, I have, a f- uh, is that in many cases. Uh, They actually lay dormant for six months, nine months, a year before they actually trigger the ransomware so that they know that they've sort of gotten your backups. Or even if they haven't, do you really want to restore back to six months ago versus... Um or maybe nine months ago or a year ago. So I think there's some even the the backup approach, it's it's great one. It still also has some some That's limitations right, yeah. in what it can do.
2: So they, they've done that with websites as well. so they they'll encrypt your database mm-hmm. um, and what they'll do is they'll add a key to you know a, an external website, um, and then in order to decrypt your database, you need to have that key. So they just kind of take it away and say, Give me the money and i'll, I'll decrypt your database oh wow yeah so this is why having a regular patching schedule is important <laughs> as well yeah um, but uh, you know it, it there are some cases where you can be fully patched you can have up-to-date antivirus and you can still get hit by ransomware as well um so you know it, it, you just need to i i guess be able to deal with it from multiple angles which is the the strategy for incident management
1: yeah definitely i think Um, last company I worked at, we sort of identified the the weakest link is always the human link. It's always the the person that there, um, and that's where a lot of the stuff comes from. And so making sure people are aware, um, and trained and, and understand the implications of decisions that they make.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's the human desire for, uh, resolving urgency issues, Right. So when there's a problem, you just kind of do something to make the problem go away um, instead of generally fixing it. So, you know, you've got a problem on a server, you release a new piece of code urgently to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. But that code may be vulnerable because it hasn't gone through, you know, the correct number of uh, tests or QA or things like that, too. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Oh,
1: uh, <laughs> there we. I feel like I've been dominating the conversation. No, no, so, yeah, it's been
0: very interesting. just kind of watching you guys go back and forth. But I mean, as uh, I mean, Ken, you're the CEO, and Mike, I mean, you're the VP of content or of engineering. Uh, I mean, how far in advance are you thinking of, like, the cybersecurity strategy? Like, how are you thinking of, like, okay, this is what we can do now. Uh, you know, we don't have the resources to do everything right up front, but, like, these are the things that we need to put in place at the moment, and then we can continuously upgrade and, you know, send people to training and things like that. Like, how is that something you mitigate as you start a business or start, you know, maybe with a smaller business as you're building and growing?
2: I think you need to start with yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, and understand what you're doing. Because you know, when when you're starting up a business, you've got one person, and then you've got your co-founder, um, and then you both have admin access to everything. Um, and then you know, people obviously know you're the target because you set it up and you've got everything. Um, and then as a business grows, you know, you need to coherently. Divide that up and then, you know, constantly just keep changing it as well, because people will change roles. You know, you've got the accountant who also does HR um, and all of the other things as well. And then eventually it's just the accountant um, and someone else is doing HR. So that accountant no longer needs access to your HR data. And then, you know, you got to just keep kind of updating it and understanding yourself where things are. Um, and then be prepared to be able to hand it over as you scale to, you know, someone else who could do the same. Yeah, I mean, I definitely take the same approach um,
1: here where um, uh, when I first joined, everybody had, you know, it was a small company and a lot of people had a lot of administrative privileges. And the first thing I did was like make a list of, okay, well, what can I eliminate right away Uh, and what can I work towards um, eliminating? Like, why do they need this access and is there is there a suitable replacement or do I have to Build something, a solution, um, and then also in terms of um, more forward thinking. I usually think, you know, I have a sort of general guide of where I'm going. That's maybe like six months a year out, um, but um, it's mostly policy. It's try to keep it pretty loose and give good guidance of like what we want and how you know make sure that the people on my team, whether they're software engineers, data science, IT, whatever it is, um, infrastructure, that they have good information about, like, what I think is important and what we, as a company, think is important. um, And then they can make better decisions. I can't be involved in every single decision, and I can't dictate down. I need the people doing the work to sort of think through that stuff. So a lot of what I'm doing um, is really more around policy or sort of that high-level strategy of what do we want our posture to be? What do we consider the most important critical data that we need to protect? Um, where can we have maybe a little more risk? Um, and then, as the organization grows and I get more resources, then right I can start addressing those other areas where, I, in the past, maybe we were willing to take that risk, but now we're a more mature organization. We have to... Um, we're getting into um, larger deals, and, and we're um, maybe dealing with more, more and more sensitive data. Um, or just more of the same data uh, so we become more of a target. So thinking through, you know, definitely adding resources around that um, and, and sort of a hiring plan that that aligns with that sort of overall strategy.
0: Okay. Um, well, yeah, I think that is the time that we have today for uh, this episode. Um, so I just want to thank you, Ken, for uh, being here. Thank and Mike, uh, thank you as well. Um, Ken, we'll definitely have you back on in another episode uh, coming up soon. So um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, sir. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.